Many Christians believe that the tribulation will begin soon after the rapture in the end of the church age, if not immediately after. However, there is reason to believe that there is a gap of time, perhaps a significant gap of time, between these two events. Why do I believe this, and how will Satan take advantage of this gap of time? We'll talk about it on this week's episode of Revelation Unveiled on Faith by Reason. Welcome to Faith by Reason. The website behind it all is faithbyreason.net. There you will find hundreds of hours of study material, blogs, podcasts, and video. And we are continuing our study of the book of Revelation by continuing our introduction to the cataclysmic period of time known as the Tribulation. Now, in the last episode, I did a big picture overview of the Tribulation. What, would the, what was the purpose or what will be the purpose of the Tribulation? And there are two. Purpose number one is to get Israel to uh, finally accept Jesus as their Messiah. And this is done by making things so difficult on them and putting them under such incredible persecution, not only by the forces of evil, but also through the judgments that are happening on earth, that they finally, again, realize who their Messiah is and call for him. And three days later, Jesus will return in the Battle of Armageddon. That's reason number one. And reason number two is to evict Satan and spiritual evil, the fallen angels and demons from the earth so that that Jesus can set up his kingdom, the kingdom that was promised to Abraham which we call the millennium. So when does the tribulation begin as it relates to the, the end of the church and the, uh, and the rapture of, of the church, which happens before the tribulation? Of course, there's a rapture in the middle and the end of the tribulation as well. We go, all, go over, over all of that. And uh, we did it a couple of, of uh, episodes ago. Please go back there if, you, if this is new to you. And don't, don't give me your comments here about the rapture. This is not where we talk about the rapture. We talked about the rapture a couple of episodes ago. So... Let's try to keep the um, let's try to keep the, the conversation focused on what happens, what's happening in this particular video. Anyway, there are um, many Christians, as, as I said in the beginning of the introduction, there are many Christians who believe that the tribulation begins immediately after the the rapture, the end of the church age. In fact, there there was a minister by the name of John Hagee, who I don't know if he's still around, but he was someone I listened to a while back. Back when um, I would watch him on TBN, he's a, a minister out of Texas, I believe, and you know, kind of a fire and brimstone guy. He was really into into eschatology and, and the last things, and maybe he's still on. I don't know. I don't have TBN anymore. I don't watch it for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't have cable. I cut the cord a while back, and I do not miss cable TV at all. And secondly, there's so many heretics on TBN that's just unwatchable now. But when he was on, he would always say when he would give his outline of the end times, he would say, you know, immediately after the rapture, the tribulation begins. But is that really true? I, I, there's nothing in the Bible, frankly, that says that the, the rapture is a trigger point of the tribulation. In fact, the Bible says something completely different. The rapture is not what triggers a tribulation. It is very clear in the Bible that the tribulation, this seven-year period, the last seven years of human rule on earth, begins by through the, the actions of the Antichrist. And it says very clearly in Daniel chapter 9 that the Antichrist will confirm a covenant or maybe sign a treaty with Israel for seven years. And that seven years is what begins the period of time we call the tribulation. So it's not about the rapture. It's about what the Antichrist does. And there is nothing about the rapture that would necessarily trigger this peace treaty. In fact, is logically speaking, that's probably the last thing on people's minds right after the rapture. I mean, just imagine... You know, the rapture happened tomorrow and millions, hopefully, of Christians, 
just disappear. Millions of people around the world just suddenly disappear. Do you really expect for the next day some guy to come on CNN or, or maybe even Fox News and say, hi, I'm your new world leader and I'm going to confirm this covenant with Israel? Of course not. There's That doesn't really make much sense. We're going to talk about that a little bit more um, later as I get in, down into the details. But in order to truly understand this and understand where I'm going with this whole gap of time between the, the, the rapture of the church and the tribulation, let's, let's take a step back and look at the big picture of God's plan for man. So God's plan from the beginning has been for man to dwell with him. That's what God wants. God wants us human beings to be with him. And in order to be with him, we have to be like him. We, we are not like him by nature, but we can choose to be like God if we have under the right circumstances and that right circumstance, which God has put into place for us is salvation through Jesus Christ and getting a new heart and eventually um, uh, you know, new bodies when, when, we are, when, when we are taken to heaven, when we die or are raptured or, or reach the end of, of, the, of the age. However, since God is just, the only just way to prove that his, his plan for man is the right one would be to give man every other opportunity to choose to be like God on his own. And we call these, peri or I call these periods of times, dispensations. Not because I'm a dispensationalist, we talked about this before. I just call these are just eras of time where God deals with man differently. And each one of these eras, God gives man the opportunity to choose himself to, to, to choose God over himself. And man always fails. The the first era there was innocence, no knowledge of good and evil. Man failed. Then we got tons of knowledge, many years, hundreds of years of life to um, to gain knowledge, and man still rejected God. That was the pre-flood. Then at Babel, you had man with one single language and one single purpose, and they you know, chose themselves over God. Then you had the patriarchs with the, the nation of Israel, where God wanted to work through the, through to the world, I'm sorry, work through Israel to the world, and they rejected Israel. Then we had the period of the law, where God wrote down his laws, on put them on record for man to know what God's uh, requirements were. And then he had Jesus come and embody the law and fulfill the law. And of course, man rejected Jesus and he was crucified. And now in our current age, the church age, God lives inside of us. If we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us and, and testifies to us. And we know that eventually this age will fail just like all the other ages. And then the final age, the or the seventh dispensation would be when Jesus physically rules the world from Israel, from the throne of David. So those are the opportunities we call dispensations, wherein God gives man these uh, these different scenarios where he has the opportunity to choose God or choose himself. However, if you think about it, if you look at those seven periods of time, there seems to be one choice that's missing, one choice that man doesn't get. And that choice is what if man was finally given the opportunity to live under full satanic rule? Would God would man choose God over himself if Satan ruled the world, which has never happened. Satan has never fully ruled the world. I know Paul calls him the prince of this world, and he obviously has great influence over this world, but Satan has never completely ruled the world. We talked about this in the last episode. He has had, again, he has great influence. I think it's, it's pretty fair to say that world rulers today are not on God's side. I don't think I need to make any kind of convincing argument to, to, to that effect. I think it's pretty self-evident. But he's never had complete rule over the world. Why? Because God has always had influence on the earth in some way, shape or form. It, during the time of Adam and Eve, God walked with them during the cool of the day. So God was here. And during the time of, of Noah, you had, still had righteous men who God worked through, like Enoch, like Noah himself. Even in Babel, God came down and intervened. 
During the age of the patriarchs, you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who were representing God on earth. You have the nation of Israel representing God. During the period of the law, you had Jesus, you had the law representing God. You had Jesus coming down himself, embodying the law. And during this time, you have the church age where the church has the Holy Spirit inside of them representing God. So God, even though Satan has had great influence over the world, he's never had total control because there's always been a godly influence in the world. And man rebels against that. Man rejects God all the time. Secular man does not want to be ruled by God. In fact, in Psalm chapter two, you know, there's the, the famous uh, the famous verse there where, where he says, you know, why do the nations rage and imagine a, a vain thing? They, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, they, they, they conspire against God and his, anoint, and, and his anointed saying, let us uh, break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us. So they conspire to say, let's get rid of God. Let's get him out of here. We don't want to be ruled by God. Man has been saying this since the beginning. That's man's desire to be loosed from the shackles of God's influence. And while I believe that uh, Psalm chapter two is denotatively speaking of the millennium, and we'll talk about that when we get there, I think generally it's really speaking of man's desire throughout history to be unshackled from God. And that's never happened. So it would only be fair for God to say, hey, you know what? If you guys don't want me around, I'm just going to abandon you to the devil and to your own devices and see how you like it then. And I think that is what's going to be happening in this gap of time between the church being called up to Jesus, the rapture, and the tribulation. I believe that's what's happening. You can call it, for lack of a better word term, a mini dispensation. I call it the dispensation of the serpent, the dispensation where Satan has unfettered rule. The Holy Spirit, the restrainer, Paul talks about the restrainer. We talked about this uh, during the, the series on the rapture. There, Paul says that there is something restraining sin. There's something restraining Satan. And the only one who can restrain Satan is God. And the only portion of God that is on the earth is the Holy Spirit as it indwells the church. And when that's taken away, Satan will finally have unfettered opportunity to rule. And that, again, that's never happened before. And the reason I call this a mini dispensation is because it can't last very long. Why? Because Satan is evil and people who accept Satan will be evil. And the definition of evil is that which destroys in the long term as opposed to good, which is that which creates in the long term. You can go back to the definitions of good and evil. We talked about these in the past. But if you have, you know, evil permeating the earth, you have nothing but destruction. And that can't last very long because eventually you're going to run out of stuff to destroy. You will have destroyed everything. So if evil permeates the world, there's nothing but destruction. And that's not self-sustaining. So this is going to be a very short period of time, a little more than seven years. If, if actually, I think it's, it'll be less than that. So this will be a period where secular man gets what they finally wanted, freedom from God, and, and Satan will fill that vacuum. And this will be the time where they get to, where, where they can ask, hey, if, if, if Satan is fully in control, will man fully embrace Satan or will he finally realize that Satan is not the right person to rule him and turn to God? And of course, I think we know the answer is that dispensation will fail like all the rest, but we have to go through it and examine it because it has to happen. God has to give man that opportunity. Now, I want to be very clear that this concept, this idea is something that I came up with through my studies. It is not orthodox. In fact, I've not seen it at least not comprehensively any other place else so which means it's probably wrong but i think there's biblical reason to believe that it is true but so but i'm just telling you don't go to your local bookstore or go online looking for something called the dispensation of the serpent it, it's from me you i'm sure you won't find it any place else
but I, I believe it explains a lot of what's going on in Revelation chapter six, the beginning of the tribulation, this gap, this period of time, this gap, and why it makes sense. And I think it will just enhance your understanding of Revelation. It probably is not going to change your big picture overview of Revelation, but I think it will provide some resolution and clarity to it, which is what we're here for. Remember, everything that's, that occurs after chapter four of the book of Revelation is speculation. We're all speculating. We know what's going to happen because God says what's going to happen. But as to how it's going to happen, we don't know. You don't know. I don't know. No one who's ever written a book on Revelation knows. We're all speculating, giving our best guesses. And that's what I'm doing. So don't take this as dogma or doctrine. And, you know, don't come onto the comments page telling me I'm wrong and I'm a heretic because I don't believe what you believe. All of us are speculating. We are going, we're not going to know with 100% certainty what's happening here until it actually happens. So this should be something that's just fun, for lack of a better word. I, I love Revelations because it, Revelation because it's fun to look at all these things and wonder what might happen and look at all these possibilities. But don't take it as doctrine or dogma and don't get on your high horse about it and say that, oh, every, everyone who doesn't believe what I believe is wrong. Because then you're getting into religious pride. And let's not do that. Nobody knows, so we're all in the dark, and we're just making our best guesses. My guess is no better or worse than yours. Your guess is no better or worse than mine. We won't know for sure until it happens, but our goal is to look at the Bible as closely as we can and take an honest look at what everyone says, what I say, what other commentators say, and make up your own mind. But if you dismiss things out of hand, again, you are in pride because you are not you're, you're dismissing things out of hand that you just don't know. None of us know. All right, so let's move on. Okay, so I've given you the what and the why. The what is the dispensation of the serpent. The why is to give man the opportunity to choose God or not based on being ruled over by Satan. But what about the how? How does this happen? Why, how does this gap occur? Well, as I began to just say a few minutes ago, after the rapture happens, it's really unlikely that the next day the Antichrist is going to pop up on the news saying, hey, guess what I just did? I just got this uh, this new treaty or covenant with Israel. No, 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 no. Just think about it logically. What's going to happen when millions of people disappear from the earth? Well, number one, there's going to just going to be chaos. It's going to start with financial chaos. The stock market is going to crash. All the markets are going to crash. Everyone's going to be pulling their money out. I mean, let's look at it this way. The, the, the stock market crashes when interest level when uh, the interest rate goes up or down by a couple fractions of 1%. I mean that in, in itself can cause a stock market crash. What's going to happen when millions of people disappear? Everyone's going to think the world is coming to an end and actually they're probably pretty close to being right and they are going to pull their money out of the stock market. They they're, they're going to hunker down. It's going to be panic. Panic in the streets, panic in the stores. Again, right now, and this is early 2021, so for the better part of a year, we've been dealing with a global pandemic called COVID-19. And when this uh, pandemic began in March of, of 2020, the first thing people did was go to the store and start hoarding things. They went to the stores and they bought all the toilet paper and paper towels and, and rice and pasta. I mean, for two months, I couldn't find I couldn't find toilet paper. I couldn't find paper towels. I couldn't find just basic food staples, even though they were plentiful. People came in and took all that stuff, and this was due to a virus. I mean, again, it, it's basically the a virulent form of the flu. I'm not trying to to downgrade or, or or dismiss or disparage the people who are suffering due to COVID-19, but let's just be honest: it's a virulent form of the flu. We know what the flu is. We've suffered through flu pandemics before. When people disappear from the earth in mass, we've never experienced that. So, if a flu is going to cause 
you know, people to, to go nuts and start hoarding things they don't need to hoard. Can you imagine what people are going to do when folks disappear without explanation? They are going to clear the store shelves of everything. There is going to be no more food in these stores. If you haven't gotten, if you haven't gone to the store and gotten everything you need within the first week after the, after the rapture, you are not going to have any food. So there is going to be massive starvation. People are going to be uh, looking for food to eat. So there are going to be food riots. There's going to be violence in the streets. We, we've had social unrest in the past couple of years over you know various social issues, which I won't get into, but they've been relatively minor compared to this worldwide calamity. It's going to be nothing. It's going to be wanton, violent, wanton violence and bloodshed and rioting. You're not going to be safe in your own home. People are going to be scared to death. And that's going to bring about martial law worldwide. We're not just in America where, where we live, where I live. It's going to be all over the world. Global martial law with a military roaming the streets. You're not going to be able to leave your house. Again, we're dealing with that here with this pandemic with COVID-19, where we're told, we you know, you don't leave your house for except for essential reasons. Well, you're not going to be able to leave your house at all. There's going to be you know tanks and armed military walking up and down the street, keeping us trying to keep people in check. It's going to be an incredible time, a, re, a, a, horror, a horrific time of fear and distress. And it is going to take it's not going to end overnight. It's not going to you, you're not going to just have this happen. And then a week later, OK, let's make a, a treaty with Israel. No, the last thing that's going to be on anyone's mind, anyone's going to care about is making some covenant with Israel. People are going to worry about their daily substance. They're going to try. They just want to have food and and money and shelter. Again, basic necessities. And that's going to take a long time, weeks, months, perhaps even years for things to get back to a state where we're actually were, you know, concerned about uh, Middle Eastern politics. So the, the tribulation will not begin immediately after the rapture because no one's going to be concerned about a covenant with Israel immediately after the rapture. It's going to take time for that. So that's one reason. It's just not logical. It's not practical for that to be something that's so important that people would recognize it. The other reason, reason number two, is again, the Antichrist himself. The Antichrist is the catalyst for the tribulation. The Antichrist has to confirm that covenant with Israel that I was just talking about. But in order for that to happen, the Antichrist has to be on the scene. Now keep something in mind. Satan has no idea when the rapture, when the end of the church age is going to happen. He is as clueless as the rest of us. Only God knows when, when this is going to happen. So what does that mean? That means Satan knows that he knows it's going to happen. And when it happens, he knows the restraint is going to be taken out of the way. And he knows he's going to finally have his period of time to implement his plan without any restraint. But again, since he doesn't know what's going to, when it's going to happen, he's had to have his Antichrist at ready at any moment. So every single age since Jesus's uh, resurrection and ascension, he's had somebody waiting in the wings to be his his person. That means during the first century and the first few centuries, he probably, he probably had the Roman emperors ready to step into that role because, you know, he didn't know when it was going to happen. And after that, he probably had several popes in mind because, you know, after the first few centuries, around the fifth century or so, you know, the popes were the sort of the religious leaders of the world and they still are to this day. And so he probably had some of them ready. And he then after that, you know, we get into our modern times. Hitler was probably someone that would have been the Antichrist if the, the rapture had happened during his time. And you could just go through any age and there, there has to have been someone Satan had at his ready, his main man ready to go because, again, Satan didn't know when it was going to happen. So if you ask me, so people always say, well, you know, do you think the Antichrist is alive today? I absolutely do. I think the Antichrist is alive today. No, at least the person Satan wants to be the Antichrist. But if you ask me 100 years ago, if the Antichrist was alive, the answer would still be yes. 
A thousand years ago, yes. 1,500 years ago, yes. Satan has always had to have someone ready to, to uh, step into the limelight and be his fake messiah. But the question is, because this person is human, or at least starts off as human, we'll get more into the Antichrist and his spiritual dimension, which I think his, his spiritual aspects are much more important than his physical aspects as a man. But he's going to start off as a man. Thing is, man, we're mortal. We live, what, 80, 90 years if we're lucky. So what if, let's say the rapture happens tomorrow. Now, there's a possibility that whoever Satan has currently waiting in the wings, maybe he's in his prime. Maybe he's between his 30s and somewhere between 30 and 50 or 60. And he's just ready to step on the scene. He already has a little bit of political power. Uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel uh, describes the, um, the Antichrist as being a little horn and a horn is symbolically is a, is, is a symbol of authority. So he starts off having a small amount of authority, but eventually he becomes, you know, he, he grows great. So maybe there's someone right now who's, again, in his prime age, has a little bit of authority, maybe some small political power. And when the rapture, if the rapture happens tomorrow, he'd be ready to step on the scene and gain more power through Satan. But not necessarily true. What if the current person is older? What if they're in their 80s or 90s and they're too old and feeble? They're not ready to rule. Satan would have to wait for the next one to come around. He needs to, this one to die off and, and birth a new one. Or what if the current, again, or what if, you know, maybe 10 years or so ago, the last person he had set to be Antichrist died off. And the current version is a kid, infant, toddler, teenager. Well, he's not ready. He's got to get, he's got to get some authority. He has to grow up and so forth and so on. So it could be years before the person who is set to be the Antichrist is, is ready physically and mentally to t step into that role. And that could, again, that could take years, if not decades. So there's no reason to believe it's going to always be immediate. Um, another reason, and this is a big one, is the Jewish temple. Remember, the defining act of the Antichrist is the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, which Jesus references again in Matthew chapter 24. That is when the Antichrist sets himself up in the Jewish temple and proclaims himself to be God at the three and a half year point. And, when, and that's when all hell will break loose, literally. But in order for him to set himself up in a Jewish temple, there has to be a Jewish temple. Well, you don't need to be an expert in international policy or a historian to know that there is currently no Jewish temple. In fact, in the area where most people believe the Jewish temple should be, there is a big old mosque called the Dome of the Rock, which is one of the holiest places in Islam, which you know, it's kind of difficult to have a Jewish temple on the same spot as a big old uh, 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 Muslim mosque. So a lot of things need to happen in order for that temple to be built. If it is on the Dome of the Rock, that means the Dome of the Rock's got to go. And that is not going to happen easily. That, again, is one of the most holy places, most holy and sacred places in all of Islam. They're not giving that place up. Now, there are some um, theories that the the location that where the Jewish temple should be is not the Dome of the Rock, but actually um, a, 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 a few yards away from it. So technically, I suppose you, if that's true, you could put a Jewish temple near the Dome of the Rock, although again, that, that's going to take some serious negotiations, because as you can, as you probably know, uh, Muslims aren't that keen on Jew on Jews and Judaism, and I doubt they take too kindly to a Jewish temple being put in proximity to. But they don't want the Jewish temple built in Jerusalem at all, let alone right next to the Dome of the Rock. I believe that the only way, I mean, in, in looking at history. The, the Islam and, and Judaism, the, the Arabs and the Jews, they've never, shall we say, be, been that all, all that amenable to each other. 
So I honestly believe that the only way this is going to work is it had to be the result of a war. I really think that, again, I'm not predicting this. I'm, I'm not saying this is the right thing to do, but I, I, I think that the Muslim power would have to be wiped out in a war. And some people see this as the war of Gog and Magog, that this war, and, and we talked about Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39, that famous war, which I will, well, I think I need to talk about pretty soon. And maybe, I, maybe I'll do that um, at, at some point in the next few episodes. But that is a, a, a tremendous war that's going to happen in the end times that really affects that part of the world. And if the Muslim powers are wiped out, then and only then can I see a way that, that the Jews will be free to, to build their temple. But if that happens, again, that's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen immediately after the tribulation. I mean, excuse me, immediately after the rapture. I could see some wars breaking out, but wars take time and it's not going to happen immediately. There's going to be a gap of time. And, and even after, let's say this war happens and the West, it's going to be World War III, which I, and I believe that the next world war will be between the West and the Middle East or possibly China, but that's neither here nor there for right now. If a war happens with the Middle East, a huge all-out war is going to be devastating. And if the West wins that war and, and it frees Israel up, well, again, that's going to take time. And then after the war happens and Israel is free to build a temple, well, they, they got to actually build it. That's going to take time, too. You can't build a temple overnight, at least not the kind of temple that the Jews would want. That's going to take a, f a few years. So even for those who don't believe in a, in a rapture or, or don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, you have to at least admit that it's going to take time to build this temple. It's not going to happen immediately. Things are, need to happen. Now, granted, it is very, it, it is logical, and I even agree with the idea that when the Antichrist confirms this covenant, that part of that seven-year covenant would be rebuilding the Jewish temple. And and once the treaty is signed, maybe three and a half years, it takes it takes three and a half years to build the temple. Then at that at the dedication of the temple is when the Antichrist comes in and sets himself up as God. Totally possible. Totally plausible. I don't deny that at all. But the circumstances leading up to the Jews having the freedom to build that temple in Jerusalem near the Dome of the Rock or on top of the ruins of the Dome of the Rock, that's going to take time. And that's really the whole point of this particular broadcast is to give you reasons to believe that there is a gap of time, a significant gap of time between the rapture of the church, the end of the church age, and the tribulation. And I believe that gap of time can be significant. I think it will, at the very least, at the very least, be several months. More likely, I think several years, maybe even decades. The rapture of the church, if it happens tomorrow, we may not even uh, get the tribulation started until, you know, 2030 or something. Because the, for the reasons that I've just given, these things take time. And during that time, I believe is when Satan is going to start his, what I call the false apocalypse. What do I mean by that? What is Satan's goal? What has always been Satan's goal? Yes, he wants he wants the destruction of mankind, but he wants something more than that. More than destroying mankind, Satan wants to be like God. He says this very clearly in two of the chapters that talk about his fall, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Well, he says the I wills, I will be X, Y, and Z. I will be like the most high. Satan's goal has always been to be like God. He wants to be worshipped as God. He wants to be a false God that men worship. He wants that worship. Satan has always coveted man's worship from the beginning. In order to be like God, he has to be triune. God is triune. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, how does Satan do that? Well, he has his own unholy trinity. Satan being 
the fake God the Father, his Antichrist, his man of sin being a fake Jesus, a fake Messiah, and his false prophet being the fake Holy Spirit. Those That will be his fake, his false trinity. Well, in order to have a fake Messiah as part of this fake trinity, you have to have a false apocalypse. Every religion and even secularists are looking for an apocalypse. Every single religion, Islam has an apocalypse. You can look at, at, at even Norse mythology with, with you know, Thor and Odin. They have Ragnarok. Uh, uh, Indian, uh, um, excuse me, Hindu. They have their apocalypse. The Mayans have their apocalypse. Every single religion has an apocalyptic event where the world is judged, and then a messianic figure comes down and saves everyone. And even secularists believe this because look, just look at our movies. Every, not every movie, but lots of movies right now have an, an apocalyptic scenario where the world is destroyed, but then there's some kind of hope, some kind of savior that comes and saves everyone. Everyone knows this, all of humanity is waiting for it. So in order to have his false Messiah come and save everyone, you have to have a false apocalypse. And that's what I believe is going to happen in this period of time. And this gap between the rapture and the tribulation is when Satan begins his false apocalypse. And I believe, and I believe, and this is the key, listen to me very carefully here, because this is my, you can call it heretical, I don't believe it is, but th th this is where I give you my faith by reason version of what's happening. I believe that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are not from God. Let me say that again. I believe that the four horsemen of the apocalypse are not from God. They are not God's judgments. They are from Satan. They are horsemen that are released from Satan to usher in his false apocalypse to get man to believe that this apocalypse that Satan has engineered is the true apocalypse. And at the end of it, they will accept his Antichrist as their Messiah. And it will be a he will be a false Messiah. And he had if Satan is going to emulate God, then he has to emulate God 100 percent. And so he has to emulate the apocalypse and emulate the messianic figure. Now, we know in truth at the end of the tribulation, the true Jesus, the true Messiah comes down. And he has a battle of Armageddon. But Satan is going to do this before that. He is going to initiate his false apocalypse and bring in his false Messiah that the world will worship. And we know the world will worship the Antichrist. That's what's going to happen. And I believe that this is when it starts. The four horsemen, I believe, are from Satan. All the seven seals happening are Satan being loosed to rule the world in his own way and bring about his false Messiah. So that is my theory of how the dispensation of the serpent is going to happen and the purpose of it happening. And I'm going to spend several episodes giving you detail because as I said, this is new. This is gonna be new stuff for you. Don't look for it anyplace else. I've seen, I've rarely seen it anyplace comprehensively. I've seen some commentators talk about bits and pieces of it here and there. But I'm going to give you my comprehensive overview of why I believe that the four horsemen are a fake apocalypse from Satan that will be followed up by the true apocalypse from God. However, before I give you my unorthodox view of Revelation chapter 6, I want to be fair and give you the traditional view of Revelation chapter 6, which again is quite possibly true, quite likely true. I have believed it for most of my Christian walk, uh, for most of my study of eschatology. It was only fairly recently in the past several years that I've come to believe that um, that, that there's something else going on, that there's this fake apocalypse going on. But again, I want to be fair and give you the traditional overview. So in the next episode, I'm going to go over Revelation chapter 6, 
where which most commentators believe is the beginning of the tribulation, and they believe that the four horsemen, that the those six seals, are the beginning of either be, either the beginning of God's judgment or a big picture overview of the entire tribulation. And I'm going to give you that traditional point, those two traditional points points of view, and then after that, I'm going to begin a study of my view on why the four horsemen and the other two seals are actually the beginning of Satan's temporary rule over the earth. That why they are a, are a false apocalypse ushering in his false Messiah, the Antichrist. And I'm going to begin doing that by looking at Matthew chapter 24, because I believe that Matthew chapter 24, the words of Jesus, the Olivet Discourse, gives us some very, very clear and strong reasons to believe that these first six seals are a deception from Satan that God allows in order to make this little mini dispensation happens to give man the opportunity to uh, choose, either choose God or choose himself while he's under the rule of Satan, which he's been begging for, as I said, from the beginning. All right, that's going to wrap this up. I'm at the 30, a little over 30 minutes here. So uh, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, please uh, subscribe. Um, to this YouTube channel by hitting the subscribe button and the notification button. Please hit the like button and share. I appreciate it. It helps elevate this this uh, this broadcast so more people can see it. Also, subscribe on faithbyreason.net. Put your email into that right navigation area and you can get these episodes as soon as they are available. And I will talk to you next week when I give you, when we go over Revelation chapter 6 and I give you, again, the traditional view that is most likely right before I give you the wacky faith by reason version of these events. All right, talk to you next week.